Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. This is Rob Spee, your host and founder of Channel Journeys. Thank you for listening. This is episode 49 of Channel Journeys. We are just one episode away from hitting the half-century mark. That's pretty exciting. Less exciting, I guess, is that this is week five or maybe six of the coronavirus lockdown, depending on where you're listening. There does appear to be some good news in terms of cases declining in many states, many countries, which is good news, and perhaps there is some light at the end of that tunnel. We're just coming out of Easter weekend. We had our first virtual Easter. Pretty unusual for those of us who celebrate Easter, but it didn't diminish it. Maybe it even helped emphasize what we're really celebrating beyond the Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. Well, during this lockdown, many of us in the channel have been encouraging partners to ramp up on enablement, technical and sales enablement. And if project work is slowed down, it's a great time for partners to get trained and certified It's also a great time for channel sales managers and channel sales professionals to get enabled, and that's the focus of today's episode. My guest today is Greg Eckstein, and he is the founder of a company called Channel Sales World. Greg launched his company about 17 years ago to help the 50 largest IT vendors in the world develop their channel strategy and their channel people. Greg is at least as passionate about the channel as I am. And you're going to hear some great tips from him for improving your channel enablement programs. And on the theme of channel training, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, the Channel Institute. If you listen to Channel Journeys Episode 7, you know that Channel Institute's mission is to turn the channel into a profession. And they do this by providing certificates in channel management, channel sales, and even channel marketing. Every Channel Institute course has been reviewed and approved by an independent industry advisory council. So you know you're learning the most important aspects of each topic. And these courses aren't just for the vendor channel folks. Your partners can also benefit by getting their certificates in channel marketing and digital co-marketing. So you could even consider funding their training with MDF. And this partner marketing enablement, well, it may well increase your co-marketing return on investment. So now's an excellent time for you, your channel team, and your partners to increase their channel skills. And I'll be sharing a special offer for you at the end of today's show. All right, let's dive in with Greg Eckstein and the future of channel sales enablement. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Greg, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you? I am fantastic. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. You you are our first. You're my first guest from Bali, Indonesia. So congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that wasn't the plan. We got stuck here. I don't know if uh, that's a, a good stuck or a bad stuck with, you know, kind of all the gyrations of the uh, coronavirus kind of outbreak. So I was with my family in Asia and uh, we have a house here and an office here. And uh, this is where all of our video production people are and the animators and everything. So this is a good place for us to get stuck. Well, yeah, hopefully being stuck there is good for you and good for your family. And your normal location is Singapore. Is that your home base? Yeah, I have a house in Singapore and also in San Francisco. So we go between the West Coast and and Singapore. Those are the two markets we serve primarily, North America and Asia. Not a bad circuit. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. 
Well, fantastic. You know, we connected, I think it was through LinkedIn, and, and I've been learning a little bit about you and what you're doing at Channel Sales World. But for folks yeah. who are listening who don't know you and, and Channel Sales World, give us a quick overview. What What is the mission of your business that you've been running now for, what, 17 years? Yeah, 18. This is the 18th year. And yeah, it's been an interesting journey. It evolves and changes uh, all the time, which we really enjoy because there's constantly new challenges. My journey started uh, 27 years ago, Rob. I was sent uh, by an American software company out of Waltham, Massachusetts, called uh, PTC now, to set up Asia. So I was the vendor setting up Asia at a very young age. And we were doing that through channel sales networks. So we were getting resellers and building our reseller network across the region. And then after probably three and a half years of doing that, I was hired away by a, a global value-added reseller. So then I became the partner. So I was a partner executive in Asia, setting up Asia Pacific, and we did it through acquisition. So we were buying companies across the region and then putting our brand on top of that. And I ran that for six years. And because of that experience of being you know, half of my career on the vendor side, half the career on the partner side, I started uh, a company called Channel Partners. And that company is Channel Sales World today. We rebranded it last year. We target the 50 largest IT vendors in the world. Those are our customers. And those are the only people that we sell to because they have the largest channel teams and the largest channel needs. And yeah, so we started working with them uh, first by providing channel manager training. We realized that there's no methodology for a channel sales professional by which they can grade themselves as a professional with key performance areas. The same way in direct sales, you've got these direct selling methodologies, spend selling, et cetera, that are well-established and well-known in the world. But I realized there was nothing for a channel sales professional. So that's where we started with channel manager training. And then it evolved into consulting projects, et cetera. And yeah, that's that's how we're we're known in, in these parts of the world is from that is from that uh, genesis. Well, your channel career started in Waltham. Mine started in Cambridge, Mass. Yeah, yep. Yeah, about twenty five years ago. Yeah, it goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure has. No kidding. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we were just young whippersnappers back. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, very young, actually. Yeah. So you focus on the top 50 IT vendors and are you focused primarily on channel sales, channel strategy, or you do a little bit of everything there? Anything related to the channel. So we focus mainly originally, like I said, it was channel manager training, and then it went into channel strategy consulting projects. And more recently, it's evolved into leveraging, you know, our, our video capabilities, our graphic design capabilities and animation, et cetera to help them build enablement for their, their partner networks and for training themselves internally and getting messages out to the partner ecosystem, whether that be internal or external targets. It's been a uh, within the channel, just channel strategy, channel sales range. That's it. We don't do anything on direct sales or anything like that. I've had a number of conversations around channel strategy. I'd love to focus more on the enablement side of what you mm -hmm. do. Okay. I'm curious what you've seen. You know, you've been at this for a while now. How has channel enablement changed over the years? What have you seen, you know, big, big shifts in, in how you help your vendors, your customers? Yeah, it started out originally in, you know, if, if you take one step back, Rob, and you think about the IT industry as a maturing industry over time, 
and you apply the technology adoption lifecycle curve from Jeffrey Moore, you know, where, you know, a, a product or even you can put industries on that curve. And in that regard, I'll talk about an industry, the IT industry on that curve. When you and I first started uh, in Cambridge and in Waltham, you know, the IT industry would have just gotten over the chasm. And it's a, it was a new industry. Um, it, there were very few substitutes for other products or technologies for what you and I were doing. And therefore, because there's very few substitutes, you had higher prices for these things. If you think about yeah. There, there was one, I think there was one substitute for what we had back then. Right. And when there's very few substitutes economically for a, a good or service, um, the price tends to be high. The price is high, the margin's high. And if the margin's high and, a, and an industry is new, you need a direct sales force to kind of power it across the chasm. And all of us probably started off in uh, direct sales. I did. I'm not sure about you. Over time, as an industry becomes mature and more substitutes come and you have a global world, the IT uh, industry started to realize that they needed to build scalable partner networks, reseller networks to provide you know, the capabilities, the coverage and the capacity they need to cover a global world and get their products to market. So our journey started from an enablement perspective of training channel managers because there was a shift in the early 2000s, at least in Asia, when I was here in Asia, um, that Asia is all channels and it's all channels for lots of reasons. Number one, they, you need a local partner to translate all your material. Otherwise, they can't read it. You know, in Thailand, for example, you can't give everyone English material and manuals and training, et cetera. It all has to be localized. So channels are the only route to market in Asia for, you know, all the biggest companies that may be selling direct in America. Those same companies are all channel out here. So we were training those channel managers initially, trying to teach them six key performance areas of what it means to be a professional channel sales individual. And then it, it started to evolve from there. Was that all live training back then that you did? Yeah, it was instructor-led on PowerPoint, face-to-face. -face. Yeah, in classroom. Right. In classroom, and people would come in for a regional meeting and they would add a day or two to that meeting for training. Yeah. So we were doing, you know, we were doing all that type of work. You know, my, my company, we've got a guy in Japan. We've got a guy in Korea and we have a guy in China, in Shanghai. So we would sell those projects in Singapore and then we would build the contents to train the channel managers. And then we would translate the material to Chinese, Korean and Japanese. And then those three guys would deliver in country in local language. And then, you know, I would deliver all the English in, in Singapore, Southeast Asia, India, in Australia, perhaps. And yeah, over time, you, you know, the enablement has become something much different now. As you know, now the industry continues to become more and more mature. There's a lot of downward pressure on price and especially margin. There's lots of substitutes in the industry. It's, you know, IT is now a 35 to 40 year old industry. So um, it's mature in every way. And the enablement now has become one where there's less and less budget, as you know, very well know, and they're looking for ways to enable now two, two audiences. First, the channel sales managers and the training these days has changed. It's changed from learning how to professionally manage a partner network and the six key performance areas related to that. And now it's become a challenge in that they need to train the channel manager on how to articulate 
a value proposition to a reseller partner on a subscription or cloud-based technology where you know the margins and the amount of money are dramatically smaller than they were when we were selling single licenses of application software for 18,000 US dollars. So why is that Greg why is that so important that the channel manager can articulate that value proposition really really clearly the, to the partner? Yeah, because there's so many substitutes, Rob. There's so many companies that have antivirus software or so many companies that you know have CRM solutions and they're now provided uh you know in a very kind of cost competitive manner and in order to you know to build your to do that these new SaaS companies that are emerging they're all 100% channel the indirect channels the primary route to market so in a mature in a mature industry in order to grow the differentiating factor is your ability to capture partner mindshare to get them to want to resell your product versus the next product that can do something very similar and the only way you can do that, and this is where me, you know, me being a channel a partner executive for six years comes in, is that you know you need to be able to tell me how I'm going to make money. You need to be able to align it to the metrics that I measure internally as a partner executive. And if you can align your product with your attached services and that overall value proposition, and align that to how I'm trying to measure and grow my business as a partner executive, then I'll give you some attention. And we'll talk more. That's the challenge. Yeah, Greg, and that value proposition, how much of it is about, you know, the company and the product and the service that's, you know, that as a service or whatever it might be from the vendor versus I think some of the other things you were talking about, how do you really make money with this, which gets around the the business model, the incentives of the business model, the service attached, all that. Yeah, I think there's two things. The see, it used to be all about brand. When I was a partner in the early 2000s, we would only take, you know, Cisco, IBM, HP, Oracle, the brands that no one would get fired for buying. Well, there were shorter sales cycles and it was easier for us. But now you ask any experienced partner executive and they would privately tell you that all technology in their mind, it's all vanilla now. It's all the same. And so in terms of, you know, at the margin, what, what, what decision do you make to go with one brand versus the other? I think that partner executives still would prefer, you know, if you had a strong brand, that's good. But actually what they're looking for now is the ability to attach the services, professional services that they've developed, not reselling the vendor package services, but the services that are developed by the partner based on the core competencies of the team that they've put together and where they can provide value through services to the customers they serve. And that's the differentiating point, because if you think about it, Rob, on a subscription you know, software, the margins are very small, especially if you quantitate you know, that into to whole, you know, to dollars themselves. It's small as a percentage and it's small as a number. So, you know, in most cases, what I'm seeing in the projects that we work on for software, the partners are getting somewhere between 10 to maybe 13 or 14 percent on the software. Forget hardware. The margins are out of that a long time ago. But on services, partners can make, you know, easily 40 percent GP. You know, you compare 40 percent versus 14 percent and the money in it for the partner is in the service attach opportunity. That's what they're looking for. And that has to be understood by a channel sales professional. They have to know in that environment, 
you know, that, that technological environment within a certain vertical. So for example, in banking, typically there's more service attached, especially as it relates to security, because no bank wants to get hacked. So they'll spend a lot of money on services, right? To make sure that it's done properly and it's 24 by seven support and 100% secure. And the channel sales professional needs to be able to think that way and go beyond their technology and, and be able to articulate if you represent my technology and you are disproportionately serving, you know, for example, the manufacturing vertical, then this is what the solution stack is going to look like. This is my ingredient that goes in there. And this is your probable service attach opportunity. That's a basic core competency today. Yeah. And you, you made an interesting point there that I, that I heard, Greg, and it was the service attach rate by vertical. And it could be very different for banking right. versus manufacturing or healthcare or whatever, depending on your product. That's exactly right. Yeah. I don't know how many of us, how many as vendors have that level of granularity of data, you know, that we've researched it to that level. That's a really important point. Yeah. What, what I would, and I'll share this with you, Rob, after the call, we, we, we really encourage vendors to build what we call an ecosystem solution matrix. So mm -hmm. for example, for your company, every company builds their product because they want to solve a certain problem originally, you know, initially they're trying to solve a certain problem and there's something that they can do that nobody else can do. That's how they all start. And then over time, that product evolves into something else. But all companies, the product marketing people would be able to tell you, our product is most differentiated and has the highest return on investment if you sell it for these three market segments. That's mm -hmm. where we dominate. And what yeah. we would encourage the vendor to do is take those three, let's just call them vertical market segments for the, for, for the time being, just for the purpose of the conversation to make it simple, is you take those, that, those three market verticals and you should build out for your partner network what the solution would be down to the micro market segment. Okay. So you can't just say, you know, in the Northeast of the United States banking, right? That's, that's a, a vertical market segment at BFSI, right? But then you have to break it down further into its micro market subsegments. So within banking, there's going to be credit markets. There's going to be investment banks, right? There's going to be retail banks. So you break it down to that level. And then for each one of those micro market segments, you tell the partner, this is what a probable solution stack would look like. And this is what the solution does. Here's the hardware, here's the software, and here's the attached services. Here's the average transaction amount. And this is how much margin you get from each element. And you, you, you finally give them what we call a blended gross margin. That's what mm -hmm. partners measure is the, the weighted average of the margin from services, software, and hardware. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you're describing like a sales play in the business. That's right. Resulting business from that, from each of those micro niches. That's exactly right. And partners love that. If you can be prescriptive and tell them where the business is, that's even better. Yes, exactly. So, you know, you talked about it used to be the big brands, you know, that was, if you worked for a big brand, that's what partners were selling. You didn't get fired for buying it. Nowadays, though, there are, you know, thousands and thousands of, of vendors out there as a service vendors. So once you get the partner's attention, how do you keep them focused on your brand? Well, we would say that that's all around the ROI and the value proposition that you bring to the partner. And the value proposition is going to be partly in the technology that you provide, but also in the policies that you have. See, there are still some vendors out there who will put together a professional services organization and actually mm -hmm. compete with their partners for services. So that would 
be something you would not want to do, probably, if you want to increase the capacity of your partner network. You wouldn't want to compete with them on services. Secondly, programmatic things, things that make them what we call easy to do business with you type features. So, for example, training that's on demand. The training uh, is, you know, 15 minutes in length. It can be viewed on a mobile device. You know, things like that also can be used to gain and, and to continue to hold partner mindshare. It used to be all around technology. Remember, we used to say, hey, we have a three and a half year technology lead on the next competitor. I don't know if you remember those days. Oh, yeah. But nobody says that anymore. So <laughs> every if you think about everything that I'm saying, Rob, it's, it's all kind of non-related to the technical aspect of the product and the brand. And that's what makes it challenging, you know? Yep. There's so much competition out there. That's right. That's right. So in the, the training that you're doing, it's not live classroom these days. Uh, maybe, maybe you do a little bit of that, but what are you, what's sort of best practices for this channel sales enablement today? So there's two kind of dimensions to it. One is the internal at the vendor, the channel sales professionals. For those people these days, we are building uh, e-learning for them. So just a little historical feature about the company. Last year, I made a decision to completely reinvent our company. And we've rebranded it from Channel Partners and we've rebranded it to Channel Sales World. Okay. And in that pivot, Rob, we took all the IP that we had built over those 17 years and we converted it to e-learning, short video messaging and delivery capabilities, you know, in, in different ways. So for example, instead of doing it, you know, face to face, we still do a lot of webinar training, right? Where on Zoom, for example, where you can share your screen and you can see each other's faces. Yeah, so the enablement from the channel sales professional inside the vendor, mainly the training is being done on that medium, e-learning or a webinar. For the partners, that, that's different. For the partners, we've got, for example, Hewlett Packard Enterprise is a big customer of ours and they made a decision a year ago, which looks brilliant now, to contract the enablement of their partner network to us. So they sent somebody to our studios. They gave us the PowerPoint files. We lifted the images off of them with our animators and graphic designers. And we created with them 15-minute micro e-learning classes that are five chapters, Rob. They're three minutes each because research shows that People look at the length of a time on a video before they watch it. If it's less than three or four minutes, they'll watch it. So we created ours into five chapters that are three minutes each. And then our team built that. We used their channel leader um, as the talking head. And then we host that for them. And they send an email out to their partners. The partners have a link that comes to our, our site. They, it's got, they've got Chinese subtitles. So if you're from China, you can read Chinese subtitles. If you're Korean, it's got Korean subtitles. And the partners go there, they, they take the classes, they learn how to position and resell the, the HP hardware and the service packs. That's what the product is. And then our team each Friday creates a report for them. And we send it back and say, these are the partners that came onto the site. This is how long they were on. These are the people that passed the exam and had a certificate issued, et cetera. And essentially, if you think about it, Rob, they're just outsourcing the you know, the, the certification and training of their partner network to another party so they can focus on what they do best. And so a, a couple things I pulled out there, Greg, in terms of best practices. One is you said, keep your videos less than four minutes. Yes, that's Otherwise right. Otherwise you're going to lose them or they're not even going to open it. That's right. 
That's right. And, and you did yours with five chapters. Is that also something you learn? You like, you don't want 20 chapters of, you know, you got to keep it reasonable. Well, our methodology that we built is that we start with a video. So the person that's look, you know, e-learning can be challenging, right? Even, even if it's good, we all know that it can be excruciating, right? But however, we start our e-learning classes with a video of, you know, so that the people that are taking the class can see the person that whose voice is that they're going to listen to for the next 15 minutes. So we try to establish some credibility and some, you know, kind of facial recognition and et cetera in the beginning. And then chapters two, three, and four, Rob, we use just graphic design with an audio voiceover. Okay. So we'll take the client's PowerPoint files and, we, you know, obviously we know what it is that they're trying to do because we have domain expertise in the IT industry. So when we see what it is they're trying to do, we know what story to make. So chapters two, three, and four is an audio voiceover of that person with graphic design happening. And then at the end, we go back to a video, a conclusion video where the talking head can say, at the beginning of the video, I said, you're going to learn this, 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 and this, and this is the takeaway and kind of concluding comments. And those, those chapters in between with the, the graphics, are those also three to four minutes long? They're all three minutes long or less. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, another thing that we do, Rob, is that research also shows that when people start an e-learning class, they don't normally finish it in one setting. Now, they might right now because of the travel restrictions, but under normal circumstances, on average, it takes people more than 10 days to complete an e-learning class. They'll watch a little bit and then the phone will ring and then they'll stop, right, and get, get into something else. So what we do at the end of our three-minute chapters is we give them two questions, okay, because they'll remember. They'll, they would have learned that three minutes ago and therefore they will not get the answer wrong, which means when they get to the end of the class, they don't have to take a 10-question test. And two of the questions are from 10 days or two weeks ago. And, you know, they may have forgotten it. And therefore, they may not get the answer right. And if they don't get the answer right on our e-learning platform, our setting is seven. You got to get seven out of 10 correct for us to issue a certificate. And if you get somebody on the e-learning platform and they don't pass, then they get more upset. So you want them to, you know, pass these exams and, and the way we do it is that we put two exams after each three-minute chapter to, to, to pull them through, you know? And then, so this, this whole module is 15 minutes, and then do you have multiple modules on different topics for the partner? That's right. Yeah, so that, that would be just on one. In this particular example, we're talking about HP. That would be one, we call them a class, with five chapters in each class. That would just be on one product that they're trying to train the partner how to sell, okay? And so this training that you're doing, it's all sales folks. It's, it's for the, the partner's sales team, or do, is it also, do you do some pre-sales, you know, technical pre-sales training? Yeah, both. We, both, depending, okay. Yeah, depending on the depth of the, the you know, sometimes with, if it's too, quite technical, right, it's harder to do it on kind of any learning. So, yeah, we, it depends on the uh, actual content. And language is an issue in, in Asia, Europe, Latin America. Mm-hmm. So... How do you handle that, you know, handling without going through the roof on cost? Yeah, what we do is, is like I said, we, you know, I built a team 18 years ago uh, across the, the region for our Asia business. And when we, we have a, a methodology for how we build our classes. So we send pre-work materials to the client 
And one of the things that they have to complete before they get to the studio is they have to have a script. And we, we take that script and then we can simply send that to our guys in Japan, Korea, or China. They can take that English script and they can convert it to Japanese, for example. They send the Japanese back and then we put it in subtitles. Okay. On the video. That's how we do it. The video is typically in English and then you do subtitles for all the other languages. That's right. That's right. And you're working with global vendors. Do you also do it in like European languages or yes. do you do just, you do? Okay. Yeah, we do. We do work in German and French as well. Thai. Yeah. So we're, wherever the projects take us, you know, we typically have those capabilities. We, we just got a request for an American security company to do Portuguese and Spanish. Um, subtitles. Uh, okay. Yeah. So what they're doing, it's interesting what this company's doing. I, I can't mention the name, you know, from corporate, they are building video messaging and these are going to be, you know, less than two or three minutes. And it's, it's similar to the style that I just re released a day or two ago where you see me on a whiteboard. And what they're doing is, is they're creating the messaging. There's five messages they want to get out to their global partners about their value proposition and why you should work with them. So they've defined five reasons. And then what they're having us do is they're doing one video in English. And then we're doing, you know, one version of that with Portuguese subtitles. And, and that's going to be available to the Portuguese, the Brazilians, and, you know, anybody that speaks Portuguese. And then, of course, Spanish, you know, and, and then every other language, Korean, Chinese, Japanese. So five messages. It's the same every time. Most people in the IT industry, you know, especially partners, I think partner execs for sure, always speak uh, English, you know, as a second language. So we can, you know, the, the vendors can definitely get their message to them. But then when you get to the sales and technical level, especially in emerging countries like Vietnam or maybe Thailand or something, sometimes the salespeople can't speak English that well, but their boss, the, the partner executive can speak English. Right, exactly. And do you, do you cover Japan as well? Yes, we do. We've been working in Japan for a long time. Yeah. And my experience there too, is you, when you get down to the sales rep level, you, you have to have something in local language for them. That's exactly right. It has to be in Japanese and otherwise it's just not going to work in Japan. I mean, everything pretty much in Japan has to be in Japanese. Yeah. Very interesting. It sounds like that format though, that would be work very well, not only for the partners, but also for your own channel team or even your sales reps, like teaching your sales reps internally how to work with partners. Yeah. That would be a great format. That's right. And, you know, people want things now, Rob, as, as you know, I mean, we, we all love to watch video, you know, outside of our professional life as well. And uh, we just find it to be very effective. People, when they're sitting in an airport and it needs to be, you know, see, be able to be seen on a mobile device, they can take, you know, everybody's got three minutes, right? To just take a class, learn something real quick, it needs to be engaging. And um, that's another thing that we do with our lighting and you know, you'll notice I'm a little more animated when I do videos than I am, you know, just my normal life. Like I'm talking to you right now. I'm, I'm sure your arms are going everywhere and you're, you're yeah. probably whiteboarding right now. Yeah. You got a whiteboard and make it a big deal. Like a weatherman, you know, you have to, you know, show the, show, use your uh, arms to communicate. But uh, yeah, that, 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 you know, that people want to be entertained and uh, when they're being educated, it would help if the person's funny, you know? <laughs> Well, humor is always dangerous, I find. My, my humor doesn't always work on everyone. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, what about podcasts? You know, we're, we're doing a podcast here. Yeah. Are you seeing, do you think there's podcasts in the future for partner enablement? You know, we did a project for IBM 
in the United States for their cloud service providers, okay? And it won an award, as a matter of fact, at uh, at a at a event called TechFest. Um, our our kind of we had a kind of a comprehensive approach to educating the IBM CSPs on uh, trends in the cloud service provider world and what the competition's doing and you know things like that. And we we created a solution for them that included seven videos and had like four podcasts and it had 25 one-hour sessions with our consultants on a one-on-one what we called Ask the Expert. So, uh, you know, the partner executive of a cloud service provider in the United States, we would uh, give them some pre-work and schedule one hour with them and we just give them consulting on what we see other CSP partner execs doing and what are industry best practices, etc. And the fourth element of the program was a webinar, okay, a one-hour webinar. And do you know the most popular element or medium of that comprehensive solution was the podcast? And people really enjoy the podcast. Greg, were those one-hour podcasts? No, they were shorter. They were, yeah, they were like less than 30 minutes. We try to make them, we try to do everything short because we know how people are, right? So the podcast, I believe, were less than 20 minutes. And we would interview, you know, maybe IBM executives who were, you know, the product manager of their cloud service, you know, team or whatever. And we would talk to them prior to the podcast and say, let's discuss these four topics. The audience is partner executive. Here's what we think based on our one-on-one ask the expert conversations they want to know. And we would have conversations like that. And they were so popular, it surprised us. And I think it's because they are convenient. People can listen to a podcast, you know, when they're riding on the train or an airplane or driving to work. And we thought video, right? We thought our seven videos would really wow them. And, you know, in phase one, it did. Everyone thought the videos were great. But in phase two now, it seems like podcasts are the uh, preferred medium right now. Yeah, it seems like they they have a role to play if you can get the formula right and keep them short and and snappy and, and interesting. That's right. Yep. And we're Very doing, uh, yeah, so we're doing, uh, uh, we just started a new project with Hewlett Packard and, and guess what? The thing that they're most keen to have us build our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So somehow podcasts are really becoming very popular and obviously very effective. <laughs> well, I hope it keeps growing. That's right. I think it will. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> well, great. You are doing something really fun, I think right now for folks with your video series. And by the time this goes live, you may have released most of them. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we, you know, like everyone else, this, see, in Asia, we were dealing with the coronavirus for two months before the United States really kind of was awakened by it. We were already on slight travel restrictions and getting our temperatures tested. And we, and and it had been that way when I came to Asia and, and I lived in Asia during SARS. So we'd already been through through this one time and, you know, we were still kind of carrying on. But it seemed like when, you know, the United States, uh, you know, getting engaged with it, et cetera, and especially Australia in Asia, um, it became more serious and everything changed very quickly, as you know, and travel restrictions came down and this and that. So we, we looked at ourselves and we had a meeting and we said, you know, what are our assets? You know, what do we do that brings great value to our customers and that we do well? And what we realized is that we are very good, and we had, we've been in video now for five years, and I've got a team 
of people that have been with me that long and graphic designers and animators. And we said, that's what we do well. And, um, you know, I'm not shy. I've got a lot of domain expertise as it relates to channel sales and IT. And so we said, well, that's what we do now. We've been doing that only for the 50 largest IT and communications vendors, but that doesn't mean that we can't use those assets to do the same type of training in the insurance industry, for example. They've got agents, which are effectively resellers, right? That's a channel sales model. So what we decided to do is we said, hey, everybody is now, you know, kind of facing something that a challenge that they had never thought of before. They're at home. They are in front of their computer. How can we help them? And that's where we came up with the idea to take what we do best, video related to channel sales strategy, and let's produce, and you'll notice the, the video I released yesterday, it was three minutes long. Let's produce free training for the foreseeable future. And yeah, so that's what we're doing. On Saturday, we recorded seven classes and you know we're releasing two each week. So we're gonna release another one tonight. What is today? Today is like the 28th or something like that, or? I'm not sure what the date is today. It's, <laughs> it's the 26th. Being inside for 12 days. <laughs> Are we still in March? <laughs> Aren't you marking on your wall the scratching, scratching in the in the drywall what the day it is, or how many days you've been in in, in hibernation? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, since there's going to be a delay in the release of this podcast, I'm not sure when you're going to release it. Uh, today's Friday. March I'm not 27th. sure either. We'll see how we do. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll release another one and. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. The first seven free trainings, Rob, are, are related to the vendor side, the channel sales professional. And the second seven that we're recording this weekend are going to be directed at the partner executive. And we're going to be providing best practices for partner executives on how to transform their business in a risk mitigated way. And, you know, what are the important metrics they should measure? How do you change your remuneration program to drive the behavior of your salespeople to do what you want them to do and attach services and, you know, things of that nature. So, yeah, that's the initiative is uh, to just, you know, one thing I learned during the SARS crisis out here in 2003 is that when things like this happen, you have to hug your customers. That's the strategy. Hug the customer. And I've never forgotten that. And that's why we're going to hug our customers and just produce free training for them. Well, I, I think. That, that's really cool, Greg. And I'm seeing so many examples of that, you know, of people hugging their customers and really doing good things during this, this crisis to help us all get through it. We're doing things like that at OutSystems. We're doing free certifications uh, for our customers and our partners. We've got a program for anyone to come and use our platform to develop some type of application to, to help fight this, you know, what we're all facing. And, and you see so many examples of that. It's, it's really fun and heartwarming to, to see that. Absolutely. Yeah, we're seeing lots of examples of, of that as well. And we're really happy to be a part of it. And this is, you know, this is our passion. So for us to, to do this, it, it, it probably makes us happier than it does make our customers happy, you know, to know that, uh, <laughs> you know, to know that we're helping them. And, you know, we, um, we think we've got a lot of information that's very important that can really help them. And getting that out there, see, under normal circumstances, if this hadn't happened, Rob, then they wouldn't have ever, you know, realized that, you know, if you're a channel sales professional, you need to be able to articulate the value proposition and quantify why a partner executive should work with you versus any other vendor that's knocking on their door. 
So um, that's why we're, we're happy to do it because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten that message out, you know, if it were business as usual. Yeah. And where would be the best place for folks that are listening to go find those videos? Because many of them will already have been released by the time this goes live. Yeah, they can go to my LinkedIn profile, Greg Eckstein, and you can see the posts that we've released there. Secondly, you can go to the Channel Sales World YouTube channel. Okay. We're also hosting them there as well. And third, you can go to our website, www.channelsalesworld.com. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all those come out. All right. Well, I got to ask, I always like to get a little personal, Greg. <laughs> Not too personal. I'm always interested what kind of fun and adventurous type things people like to do. You know, you're out there in a different part of the world. What kind of things do you do on vacation or whatever? Yeah, it depends on where I'm at. I've got three kids. And, you know, we, when we're in Bali, we like to go and walk through the terraced rice fields. And you meet some very interesting people out in the terraced rice fields. And it's great exercise. It's, you're absolutely right smack in the middle dab of nature. And you're seeing things that you would normally never see. So that's what I like to do when, when I'm here in Bali. Beautiful. Is it, you know, you see pictures of that and it just looks gorgeous. Yeah, it is so lush. It's really incredible to see how they have come up with a system to take a volcanic island. I mean, if you can imagine an island of, in Hawaii, okay? And if you look at that island, you know, typically um, it's shaped like a, you know, to a large degree from a macro level, it's, it's, it's formed by a volcano. So there's a one or two volcanic, you know, spouts there, and then the rest of it all comes down at a 45 degree angle. And that's how Bali is as well. There's two major volcanoes here. They've taken the, the landscape and terraced it into these rectangular rice fields. And it's just absolutely unbelievable to see. So yeah, that's what I like to do. When I'm in the United States and there in San Francisco, I like to go trekking. I play tennis, do things like that. Trekking. Do you go mountain trekking or city trekking? Mountain trekking, usually. I like to go yeah. out into nature. Yeah, because I'm always trekking in the cities, right? When I'm working, I'm always rushing from one kind of location of a city to another. So now I like to get out into nature and go trail walking. I'm not a climber. I'll nice. be clear about that. I'm definitely not <laughs> a mountain climber. You won't see me with ropes and chalk. You're not doing Everest or Kilimanjaro? No, no, no. I'm just walking very slight grades of uh, trails. Yeah. Well, you travel a ton. You and I kept trying to connect and you were always <laughs> somewhere in the world, but now you're, you, you get to at least stay home a little while. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's odd to, to be, you know, kind of not traveling. I've been on the road, Rob, probably two and a half to three weeks for 27 years now in, in a, you know, that's when I was, you know, living primarily in Asia and the responsibilities for the region. So each week, you know, one week you got to go to India. One week you got to go to Japan, you know, one week you got to go to China. So you're, you're just constantly traveling. When you live in Singapore, it's okay because Singapore has a great airline and Singapore Airlines and they have a great airport and it's, and it's, it's bad, but it's not too bad. But yeah, being at home now and not traveling as much is, has been really good. Our kids were put, you know, they're, they're doing school online now. So we've, you know, it's been really, really nice. I mean, for the first time, we're spending a lot of time together. You know, there's, you know, they can't go, uh, they're teenagers. So I've got a 17 year old, a 15 year old, and a 13 year old, two girls. And then the, the youngest is a boy. And uh, yeah, so we've been able to, you know, eat dinner together every night. Yesterday, you know, I, I convinced them to put up the tent 
in the backyard. That was a, kind of an adventure. They've never put a tent up before. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, because when, I'm sure you've had this experience by now is that once you do something like that, you sit there and you look at it and you go, wow, I can't believe we just put up a tent. You know, it's been a good experience and the kids are, you know, really good about it. And my wife's real good about it. And we're just trying to take a negative and turn it into a positive, you know, and that's all we can do right now. Yeah. This is the time you make, what is it? Make lemonade from lemons and precisely. And just be thankful we're, we're home with our families and safe. And, and hopefully everybody listening here is, is in that situation. That's right. Well, Greg, thank you so much. This has been a fun conversation. A lot of good tidbits that I, that I jotted down. I'll put those in the show notes as well. And we'll be looking for your videos. Eager to see what you're going to be putting out there. Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me, Rob. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And hey, anytime you want information or data or models or anything like that, you let me know. I'd be more than happy to support you and show you some of the things that we're doing or give you some tools that might help you at OutSystems or elsewhere. That's great. Does that apply to our guests that are listening too? Can they reach out to you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Yep. Right now we're trying to help everyone. We're doing a lot of free coaching for, you know, one thing I didn't mention previously is our business started out, you know, really focused on the channel sales professional, the channel manager. And over the last four years, I think from maybe 2014 to 2018, all of our work was primarily for partner executives on transformation. We did over 200 workshops for partner executives for I, this is for an IBM project around the world. And we have a methodology to help them transform their businesses in a risk mitigated way. And we built, you know, a lot of relationships with those people. So we're spending a lot of time right now coaching those guys, trying to help them and, and so forth. So yeah, no problem. If anyone would like to reach out and have a discussion or try and get some help, I, me and my team would be more than happy to help you out. All right. Excellent, Greg. Well, you and your family stay safe in Bali and, uh, Look forward to meeting you one of these days when we can travel again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm stuck in Bali. I can't go anywhere. All the, uh, you know, the countries now are, you know, not letting anybody else in. So I'll be here for a while, hoping to get back to the United States. I was supposed to be back in the United States about ten days ago because of a few things that occurred out here. I wasn't able to do it. So once I get back, I'll let you know, Rob. And we'll get together. Okay, great. All right, take care. Great. Thanks a lot, Rob. Bye bye. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right, guys, a fun conversation and some great tips from Greg calling in from Bali. Be sure to check out his five-part video series. He's got those posted on YouTube, and you can find a link to that on this post at www.channeljourneys.com backslash CJ49. And thank you to Mike Kelly and the Channel Institute for sponsoring our show. Check out their channel certification courses at channelinstitute.com and you get an immediate 10% discount off of any of their courses just by entering the discount code JOURNEYS2020 at checkout, JOURNEYS2020. Well, that's it for today's show. Be sure to subscribe to Channel Journeys wherever you listen so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another great episode. Until then, please stay safe, stay healthy, positive, helpful, and have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.